Hey everyone, welcome back to So Emo I Fell Apart. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring all things emo and pop punk for the naughty oddies. And today I'm one of your hosts, Rhea, and in Chloe's voice, and I'm your other host, Chloe. We initially split our big behemoth of a stage gay episode up into two parts, but we didn't expect to make it two episodes rather than one long two-hour episode. So here I am just doing the top of the you know, housekeeping part of the podcast. So without further ado, back in a stage gay. Okay, and we are back. And hello, naughty children. It's time to discuss Panic at the Disco. You thought we had forgotten about them in the first <laughs> hour of this podcast. We didn't. There's a we lot to say there. We were saving it all for the second half <laughs> to protect you. To peek behind the, the, the scenes, we're only on page... Six of 14 in our stage gay outline, guys. Strap okay. in. We're going to get there. It's cool. <laughs> we're going to get there. It's cool. It's fine. So we're picking Panic as our second band to really focus on here because they came after MCR and they're very clearly inspired by MCR from the fact that like Ryan very specifically because we have his old live journal posts where he talks about my couple comments a lot. My couple comments makes me dance. Famously makes Ryan Ross dance. And mm-hmm. also, I feel like a lot of their theatrics that they had were directly inspired by the theatrics that my chemical romance were having. But their situations are incredibly different mm-hmm. because my chemical romance never underwent the same splitting that Panic did. And the current public opinion of both bands is very different. <laughs> we know that a mm-hmm. lot. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. people like love MCR and are begging for them to return while people have been begging Brendan to hang up the panic name since like 2009. Yeah. So we have the blueprint for Stage Gay and then what a band that was influenced by that then does with it. Yeah. And whether or not they were doing it in the same way or for the same reasons. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, I don't think they were doing it for the same reasons. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> but they were doing it kind of similarly Mm -hmm. it is a weird case for me because like i don't know i look back on my time spent like trawling the internet for pictures of like my chem and fallout boy and like the academy is and cobra starship and gym class heroes i look back on that pretty fondly and now i have less fondness for my time spent looking for pictures of panic at the disco and ryan and brendan specifically probably just because like brendan is kind of a shithead now (laughs) yeah he's a piece of shit yeah so it's kind of weird for me to think of like kind of how it's still weird for me to listen to those early albums because i'm like these are really fucking good i hate this guy though (laughs) like if they could do this with a different singer like that'd be fucking great ryan get back on the mic yeah like literally i need ryan's version of everything um but that's please ryan ross we need you (laughs) um so there's like a few eras of stage gay for panic yeah. Uh, it was definitely most prominent during their first big headlining tour, uh, which was called Nothing Rhymes with Circus. It was, like, the one where they had that big fucking, like, Cirque du Soleil vaudeville mm-hmm. troupe traveling with them everywhere. Besties Lucent Dossier. Our best friend Lucent Dossier and, you know, Dusty and KDK and everyone All in that troupe. Super cool. Um, it was a 28-stop tour with support from the Dresden Dolls and the Hush Sound. Like, 
genuinely great lineup sonically like these bands are complementing each other perfectly i wish i had gone to it that is like one of my biggest regrets in like fandom is not having gone to that tour i was yeah. also fully 13 and my mom initially didn't buy me a paper you can't sweat out because i was like hey mom can you buy these for me at target and then she took a one look at the titles and the, the song titles on the back and she was like absolutely the fuck not <laughs> and i'm like judy you let me watch rocky horror at age 10 i don't think we can be stowing throwing stones in glass houses right now about a few you can't sweat out <laughs> i mean can't we <laughs> so this was fresh off the release of their debut album a fever you can't sweat out um, it was in 2006, mm-hmm. so before Project Revolution had happened, but definitely after Frank and Gerard and Pete and Patrick had been doing everything that they were doing on stage. Yeah. So in some ways, they were, like, treading kind of new territory for bands, like, especially in the emo scene, because they were traveling with, like, an entire fucking circus and, like, a cello and a giant windmill that lit up that they couldn't get into the door at some of these venues. <laughs> And, you know, they were dressing up as, like, Victorian street urchins and, like, marionettes in Tim Burton makeup. But in other ways, they were picking up right where other bands had left off. And that other way was the lead singer kissing the guitarist. As one does. (laughs) As one fucking does. This is immortalized on their Live in Denver DVD. Which I think I own somewhere. I I do. (laughs) I, uh, it came in that, like, limited edition box set for A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. Oh, then I don't own it. I have um, Live in Chicago, though, which is a devastating, (laughs) devastating DVD to watch. Oh, no. Yeah, I can't. I literally can't even get myself through Live in Chicago. I've watched it once. Yeah, don't even blame you. Live in Denver is, I don't know, a work of art. It's like part live DVD, part documentary about the band, because you do get like a lot of interviews and behind the scenes with like the band and members of the circus and all that kind of stuff. And you also get the full show that they put on. So you get their entire set list, which I think was most of, if not all of the songs on the album. Yeah. And then a few covers. Because they didn't have enough songs to like on that album to flesh out (laughs) the entire set list. They really didn't, but it did give us like that fucking perfect cover of Karma Police. Like fuck. It's so good. I hate that. Like early panic. It's so good. Just, and Brendan Urie sucks so fucking bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on this DVD, in between songs and during songs, we do get a lot of shots of Brendan, you know, like coming very close to Ryan, like touching him, touching his face, leaning in to kiss his cheek, like all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When Panic at the Disco got their first Rolling Stone cover in 2007 which I think was one month before Fall Out Boy got theirs. Yeah, I think uh, so. Ryan discussed this tour a little bit because the interview, I think, had been conducted partially while they were still touring for Nothing Rhymes with Circus. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk a little bit about the stage gay and like how they have kind of partially scripted that into their show. Already there, we have our first difference between my chem and panic where my chems felt very organic and just like spur of the moment versus panics like oh we're putting on a performance we're doing theater we're gonna put this oh, yeah. in a script like it's literally the difference between gerard saying like it ain't a command thing and then brendan making 
the same speech every single night and that speech including kissing ryan yeah um so they describe it oh you go you go it was a stupid thing it's uh it's giving um a hoshi at on the be the sun tour 17 where (laughs) all the fans are able to recite his speech at him by the end of the tour oh my god (laughs) no it's like exactly that yeah so they they transcribe this little speech that brendan makes uh and he makes it Midway through the set, right before they play, lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off, where he says, have you ever dreamt you were in a sunflower field with some minor variations, uh, describes running towards his lover for the perfect kiss. As he does this, he approaches Ross and leans his face very close to the guitarist who pulls his mouth away just in time, almost every time. In San Diego, on the final end of the tour, Yuri moved in quick enough to plant one on Ross's cheek, which immediately flashed crimson with embarrassment. And then as he pulls back and the room fills with an audible gasp, Yuri always says something like, well, this isn't that kind of dream. This is about sweaty, angry, crazy, monstrous fucking. (laughs) And at this point, like, I hate to bring it up now in the stage episode, but we know a little bit of thing or two about what kind of sex that Brendan Yuri is having because of Audrey Kitching and Jesus what she Christ. was saying yeah, we do. her blog. <laughs> so, like, it, Brendan, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, for a significant part of their career at that point, anyway, a very big deal was made of the fact that Brendan grew up in an extremely Mormon household and mm-hmm. uh, was a virgin. They talked about it a lot. <laughs> Like, it was a focal point of their, like, thesis as a band. Yeah. And I mean, that's not so unusual because they were, like, fucking, like, 18 when they went on tour, I think. Yeah. So it's not like it, it's unsurprising that an 18-year-old would have not had sex yet. Yeah. An 18-year-old Mormon hasn't had nasty monster sex. No way. I'm no shocked. Way. Um, But, <laughs> yeah, that was... Like, kind of part of their brand. So it is, like, very funny to me that in interviews he'd be like, I've never done anything and then he'd get on stage and sing lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off yeah it's like a really fun juxtaposition that they were i don't think they were consciously playing with but like there was something very fun yeah about dudes singing about like you know drug overdoses and like burlesque shows and therefore Mm -hmm. like their experience being teenagers is playing guitar hero Yeah, literally. But Ryan does talk in the Rolling Stone interview a little bit about uh, that part of their show, where he says there's plenty of stuff we do in the show to get a reaction. Uh, Like fans are always saying that me and Brendan are dating. It's funny to me how people freak out about stuff like that. I think the show almost splits you and makes you choose. Will I like this band from this point on or was the show too much? When we were writing these songs, we were expecting the audience for them to be our age or maybe a little older. I know that our CD wouldn't have been allowed in my house until I was 16. I guess parents are a little lenient these days. Then again, I've seen some angry parents in the crowd for sure. So it is definitely like, he's not saying, yeah, we're doing it to make like a political statement. But at the same time, we are aware that when we do this, it's, can I still like them? Or was this too much? Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily, is it too much that they had a circus on stage? Or like, was it too much that a boy kissed another boy? Mm -hmm. Because that definitely, I think, would have pushed some people to be like, oh, fuck, like, I'm, I'm not listening to these guys anymore. Like, mm-hmm. you mentioned in the last episode, I think, like, your friends who would edit the metadata on their songs so that, like, no one could tell what music they were listening to on their iPods. Yeah, because like, it wasn't, it was a target your back to publicly be listening to My Chemical Romance. It was basically code for being gay. Yeah. 
And I think it was very much the same for, like, Panic at the Disco. Like, at my high school especially, like, you wore a Panic shirt, everybody knew what was going on. I would argue, like, at least in my experience, because I am a little bit younger than you, Mm -hmm. by Panic, by the time that Panic rolled around, like, it was cool to like Panic at the Disco, but it was not cool to like My Chemical Romance. I don't know what the difference was. But there was a very clear-cut difference where, like, everyone fucking loved I Write Since Not Tragedies, but God forbid you listen to Welcome to the Black Parade where people could see. <laughs> oh, no. Neither of them were cool at my school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, I don't know. I got probably less of it because I was a girl, but, like, guys that I was friends with were definitely, like, fully just getting shit on if they were oh, coming yeah. to school in a Panic at the Disco t-shirt. Yeah. But, like, we would also, like, very intentionally be like, oh, okay, we have the same panic shirt because like there's really only one that you can get at the one kind of emo store that we have in this city so because we're both gonna didn't wear have it hot topic <laughs> we didn't have hot topic so we were like okay we're both gonna wear the panic shirt that we both have the same one of and then we're both gonna wear black skinny jeans we're gonna match um <laughs> so like we there was absolutely no point where we were like what can we do to reduce the bullying that we're getting? Do you think that if we stopped outwardly listening to the gay bands, people would stop doing this? No, we should probably do it more. Which basically is what the thesis of Stage Gay was. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, did it work for high schoolers? No. No. But <laughs> <laughs> but but it did make me feel better. Yeah. That that's called community. Exactly. <laughs> so that was like the one example that I could find of Ryan talking about kissing Brendan on stage. Mm-hmm. And I'll have you know that I fucking Googled the ride-in manifesto for this. <laughs> um, and ended up finding, like, an archived version of it in a Google Doc. Because the original one is, like, 99% broken links to old photo bucket and MySpace accounts. Is it the one from Bandom Ships on LiveJournal? Um, let me see. Because there used to be a community on LiveJournal for those who were unfortunately not on the internet for the peak life at all times where you could go and like it was very specifically only ship manifestos for bands but yeah, honestly I... for for by and large it was like our only archive of bands mentioning stuff in interviews about stage gay and any images that we have of it yeah i i think that it was the one posted to band ships it was from yeah. uh january 27th 2010 Mm-hmm. At 8.37 p.m. from LiveJournal user Whispered Lullaby. But you Googled that shit. I Googled that shit. Stuff. I mean, I'm reading fucking nothing from it because, like, none of it was really relevant to the discussion that we're having right now. Except No, just, a, lot you know, of, they... a lot of those things were just, like, commentary from people. But every once in a while, you're like, oh, you actually have, like, citations? Yeah. Fun. Um, It's mostly just, like, wow, here's photos of, like, all the times that they were really close to each other on stage. Like, great. Mm-hmm. They sure were. But there was an interview fairly recently which is to say like 2018 yeah wow almost like 11 years after ryan talked about it where brendan talks about it and this is kind of the other big difference between panic and my chem which is that nobody in my chem has like big fucking air quotes again come out as anything Mm -hmm. um and brendan has come out as pansexual in a paper magazine interview where the interviewer said did you find yourself as a young man having to really come to terms with your sexuality So Brendan says, it was never weird for me. I know that it made a few people uncomfortable when somebody gets uncomfortable about me doing what I used to call stage gay. 
it kind of presses me to want to do it more. And the interviewer says, what's stage gay? And he says, for Which, our first headline tour. You have tour. to ask that. <laughs> 2018, and you're interviewing, like, one of the, the holy trinity of emo, like, frontmen. What are we doing here? You're not qualified to do this interview. <laughs> it's for sure just the interview being like, explain this in your own words, please. Because, like, what if somebody reading this somehow like, hasn't know. heard of this? Have you been living in a hovel? <laughs> So Brendan says, for our first headline tour, I would go up to Ryan, our guitar player, and like kiss him on the neck or kiss him on the mouth, and he would be so mad. I was like, I just want to kiss you, bro. I would hang out with friends, and after five or six beers, we're just kind of smooching on each other. People just get hammered and fool around. This interview also kind of makes it sound like it was very one-sided and really only Brendan engaging in this. Mm -hmm. Ryan was like an active participant, and I know that like post this interview, there was like kind of a narrative in people who were still like paying attention to panic at the disco but who had all kind of turned <laughs> on brendan where they were like this means that brendan was harassing ryan the whole time and it's like we don't know that and we also from what we did see on stage could see ryan like initiating a lot of it so we can't necessarily say like yeah this was just brendan being a creep we there's enough bad things about him that we do know for sure we don't have to make this one up um, yeah. He does, for the record, come off as a huge fucking asshole in the entire rest of this interview. Unsurprising. Yeah. But he also mentions in this that it was on their first headliner. So it was on Nothing Rhymes with Circus. And post Nothing Rhymes with Circus, it gets very toned down. Mm -hmm. Which could be any number of things. It could be that, like, Brendan says Ryan would get really mad. Like, maybe Ryan said, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe Brendan mm -hmm. just decided that he didn't want to do it anymore. Maybe it's because there was so much tension in the band because uh, to hear their bassist John Walker tell it by the time he joined, they were already on the verge of breaking up. And that was right after their first album had come out. Yeah. So very clearly, all that is to show that like it was scripted. It was basically for shock value and mm -hmm. replicating what their idols, My Chemical Romance, were doing, but didn't really understand why my chemical romance was doing what they were doing to the extent mm -hmm. that they were yeah i mean i don't we don't know for sure that they didn't understand that that's why they were doing but like we do know that they never yeah but we do know that they never said that that's why they were doing it they were not using their platform to speak out in the same way that mcr and fallout boy were those Sorry, are if you hear a dog barking <laughs> in the background that is because my little angry bastard dog old man miles has decided it's time to play so. Is that Miles? It is Miles. Can you tell Miles I say hi? Miles, Chloe says hi. He's looked at me very confused. I know so. he misses me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that he's definitely capable of holding several thoughts and memories in his head at a time. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking of me. <laughs> Complex higher thought. <laughs> that he's dedicating just to me and the time we spent together on your sofa. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> sorry for, that is to say, sorry, audio, like audio listeners, the only format this podcast is available on. Uh, if you hear crunching from my audio quality, it's because my dog will not let me not play with him. So, yeah. So to continue on with Panic, that's kind of where it gets weird is post mm -hmm. Nothing Rhymes with Circus, because what happens then is their second album comes out pretty odd. They tour for that with mm -hmm. basically no onstage interaction. It's just four people standing in separate parts of the stage and that's like it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I saw them on that tour and it didn't look uncomfortable. 
and they didn't look like they all hated each other, but it no. wasn't like everyone in each other's business like it had been before it wasn't the spectacle of nothing friends with circus by any stretch of the imagination and also no. there was the benefit of brendan was doing a lot more um playing guitar and standing at the mic than previously he yes. was like a major <laughs> factor in like the instrumentation on this one not that he wasn't for nothing Rhymes with Cir- uh for a favorite you can't sweat out but yeah. this one he was like yep i'm gonna have a guitar for most of the set <laughs> Yeah, which is like, good. <laughs> yeah, thank God. But then, shortly after Pretty Odd comes out, the band splits. So Ryan, Ross, and John Walker, uh, their bassist, they both leave the band. And then from that point on, it is Brendan Urie and Spencer Smith. Their which drummer. I would like to say right now, which we're probably going to bring this up again. There's a tweet that's currently going around as we're recording this of like March 1st. Of, like, what historical event stands out in your mind more than, like, 9-11? And people were talking about Zane leaving One Direction. I'm like, I'm sorry. I still remember exactly where I was when I found out that Panic the Disco split. That was earth-shattering to me. Yeah. I, I woke up. I opened up AbsolutePunk.net on my desktop computer that was running Windows XP. Um, I saw the news. And I fell to my fucking knees. I was in the middle of the produce section at the grocery store in my hometown and I was shopping with my mom. I had to act normal around fucking apples. It was, it was a nightmare. But then like after, in retrospect, several years now down the line, I'm like, you know what? It was a good thing that happened. Oh no, it was, it was a good thing that that happened. That was the day the music died and thank God it did, you know? Yeah. So Panic releases one album that is just Brendan and Spencer. Um, that is Vices and Virtues. Still includes a lot of songs written by Ryan. Which is weird. Yeah, I don't know what agreement they had there, but like, I don't know. And that version of Nearly Witches sucks on there in comparison to the one on Citizens for Our Betterment, but... I'm I'm not happy about it. (laughs) But after that, they add a new band member to the lineup, and that is bassist and lyricist uh, Dallin Weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, Formerly of the Brobecks, currently of I Don't Know How But They Found Me. So Dallin is brought on, he does lyrics, he wrote Boys, Boys, Girls, and then the stage gay kind of starts again. Mm-hmm. So it's like, honestly, really similar to what Brendan was doing with Ryan. Like, they share a microphone for parts of songs. Like, if you, like me, are doing research for a podcast, and you have to find examples of people acting gay together, and you Google Brallin moments on YouTube.com. <laughs> Um, you can find videos of them, like, with their foreheads pressed together, sharing one microphone to sing the intro to Iridson's Not Tragedies. You know, all that kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. There is, I think, a lot less record keeping of Brendan and Alan. And For I sure. think that that is because at that point, it was maybe 2012, 2013. When did that album come out? Ooh, yeah, that feels like correct. Cause I feel like Miss Jackson was like when I was in college. Uh, it was 2013. Okay, so yeah. at that so point, when I was in college. Live Journal was no longer like the hub. Live Journal basically died out as a popular platform for like every single online community pretty much that lived on there. I want to say around like 2011, 2012. Yeah. Like there are people that were still de- desperately clutching onto Live Journal, but I stopped my Live Journal us- usage pretty much cold turkey in like 2011 at latest. Yeah. I had hopped over to Tumblr by 2010. Yeah, so, I had both for a while, but like I officially like left Live Journal for good in 2010. Mm-hmm. So by uh, 
2013, it was definitely good and dead. And we get a lot less of the same archiving and documenting of gay moments between uh, band members. Especially because Twitter is not the platform that it is now, especially. So the record keeping that's on Tumblr is a lot harder to keep track of most because Tumblr is a garbage website where it's like infrastructure is ass garbage. <laughs> so it's yeah. hard to like find anything in an archival way like the individual tagging system on one blog might be really good but like if you're looking for something and you don't already know the url that you need like you're fucked get fucked have fun you're not gonna get there so that is all to say that like it just like wasn't getting recorded as much and i don't know if it's because it's a platform issue if interest in panic had waned that much Mm -hmm. et cetera et cetera so I mean, interest was definitely still there because there was a post about stage gay, not on LiveJournal, but on Dreamwith, um, from Tumblr user Jedisor from 2011. At this point, I think that Dowlin was not an official member of the band. I think he was like a touring musician for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person writes, so Panic has been getting all up in each other's business during shows lately. I'm down with that. If you read this live journal, it's not a live journal, it's a dream with, but you know, same thing. Mm-hmm. You're probably down with it's it too. It's A3's live yeah. journal, basically. <laughs> uh, Breezy and Sarah. Breezy is Dallin's wife. Sarah is Brendan's wife. Mm-hmm. Breezy and Sarah are also down with it, I hear. I don't follow primary sources of fandom canon, but I'm told they've been posting vids and gifs on their tumblers and such and saying it's hot. I'm glad to hear it. I'm okay with pretending they don't exist if it's necessary, but the happy poly route is much more fun. There are people who aren't down with it, though. I've heard opinions expressed about how stage gay is appropriative of homosexuality and turns it into a joke and so forth because the people doing it aren't actually gay or aren't willing to come out. I think these opinions are valid, but I disagree with them. Performative sexuality is not new, and it is not always sincere. People like sex, but they don't tend to like taking it seriously on large groups. They like laughing at it because it's fun to fuck with taboos. We've been doing this with straight sex forever. The fact that it's happening now with gay sex means that gay sex is becoming normalized. I think it's better to get mad at people who won't acknowledge its existence than at people who are willing to have fun with it. So yeah, Brendan Urie and Gerard Way and Pete Wentz are posers. We queers are so freaking awesome that famous celebrities want to pose as us. I don't think that's a bad thing. Because the discourse never fucking dies. Mm -mm. And we're still having the same fucking discourse now, baby. It's just living in K-pop Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i mean i think that this post simplifies stuff obviously because it's like a personal post on someone's blog yeah but like i don't know for the most part i'm like yeah it's not always sincere it's not always insincere either i don't see a huge issue with people like i don't know because i i mean this this here's the thing i don't think they're laughing at gay sex like i don't think they're laughing at all no so i when they say, like, joking about gay sex means that it's normalized. It's like, okay, but I don't think they're joking. I think that they're just, like, playing, you know? Yeah, I feel like it'd be way more obvious and overt if it was d- making fun of it. <laughs> yeah. It would be it's a not lot like like, more clear. Hey, guys, wouldn't it be funny if we kissed? Like, it's j- they kissed, and then they didn't laugh. <laughs> we would be able to tell if it wasn't mm-hmm. sincere, which, like, you could kind of tell that in the Britney Madonna kiss that it wasn't yeah. sincere. Like, uh-huh. it's very clearly, like, people aren't stupid. People are stupid, but people aren't stupid. <laughs> they can tell when something is being done in sincerity versus being done for shock value. Yeah. And, like, there are moments with Panic the Disco, of course, you can tell that a lot of it was done for shock value. 
because mm-hmm. Panic! The Disco initially wrote shocking music. And but also we now have quotes from Brendan saying that like, hey, no, like that was in the most layman's term and like surmising a meaning from what he was saying. Like, hey, it was normal. Like I would do that. You yeah. Know, despite it being scripted. It's him saying like, I'm a pansexual man and I wanted to kiss him. Mm hmm. You know, but like the thing is for me is that even if everyone involved was heterosexual and they just were like, it would be nice to make out with my friend on stage that I good. I think that that's good, too. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's okay. Like, I'm not mad at that. Yeah, it's basically the same as kissing your friends at a slumber party, except that it's on stage. Exactly. So, so Dallin, (laughs) get the fuck into it. Dallin leaves Panic at the Disco um, in 2017 under weird and probably not amicable circumstances based on how Dallin has talked about his time in the band since yeah, then. Boy. Uh, yeah, which buddy. we will get into in more detail at a later date. Dallin, be free. Now. And everybody listen to, I don't know how, but they found me. Go listen to Mick Sinister right now. Great song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this brings us to our end point of kind of comparing and contrasting My Chem and Panic where we're left in a weird position with people in my chem who have never explicitly come out and said that they're attracted to men, but who were kissing on stage as a statement against homophobia and were putting this target on their own backs and were getting a lot of shit for it versus people who have come out. Brendan has come out as pansexual. I don't know what Dallin's deal is. Dallin's deal is not telling people what his deal is. I like mm-hmm. that for him. I think that that's good. And Ryan has also never come out. Ryan has also never come out as anything. And as far as we know, they were kissing for fun and for shock value, which is also mm-hmm. okay. And that was a point where it was like less to make a political statement than it was as part of the show. Mm-hmm. And they were also getting a ton of shit for it. Yeah. Like, that's not to say that they were not getting the same level of hatred that my chem was. But like, Brendan did have bottles thrown at him. Like, famously had a bottle thrown at him at Reading and Leeds Festival. Yeah. Like, so it's not like just because they were doing it for shock value or as a part of like a proper theater moment doesn't negate the fact that like they were given shit for doing stage gay for as how like how not like as overt as it was with my chem but like Mm -hmm. still it's kind of like it turns out that people don't care why you're doing it they care that you're doing it Mm -hmm. i mean like homophobes care that you're doing it yes what i mean to say because they'll they'll throw a bottle at you and they will think that you're gay Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you kind of get the other side where there's people who don't think that they're gay and are mad at that. And it's like, okay, everybody needs to get okay with this. All of you need to get okay with this. For sure. Yeah. And now I think we get into RPF Corner. RPF Corner, because as we said at the top of the episode, and as like we've been sprinkling in throughout the past like two hours or so, um, we can't talk about stage gay without talking about RPF because a lot of the discussions about stage gay that exists online are born out of RPF spaces and, you know, directly impacted that kind of subsect of fandom. And RPF at a certain point did have an impact on reality um, Mm -hmm. for better or worse. And like, it would be irresponsible of us to not talk about RPF and how it interacts with stage gay and how stage gay interacts with RPF. Yeah. I don't think it does anyone any favors to pretend that these two things are not related and that they weren't interacting with each other. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, especially if you look at a band like Fallout Boy, where they were always so aware of their position in the conversation, 
mm-hmm. and how they were being talked about. And like Pete Wentz and Gabe Saporta, who were always so ahead of trends and who were so yeah. good at predicting what was going to do well. They were absolutely not above using this to their advantage. No. And like I kind of hinted at it a little bit with Gabillium, but like mm-hmm. Gabe Gabe was fucking smart <laughs> when it came yeah. to stage game. He knew that like, hey, the fans really like this and they're gonna write engage in it in a way where they're going to make content based off of it and talk about us more because of it let's take control of this in the best way that we possibly can yeah and it's a very weird thing to grapple with because it's kind of like in this era you couldn't necessarily say oh they're doing it to sell albums they're doing it to get on mtv because these were not really things that to the masses were like really garnering interest you know, for sure. if you were doing something gay and then you got on MTV, it was despite the gayness. It was not exactly. because of the gayness or it was because it was so shocking and so novel that they were like, let's show this and get like the outrage clicks, basically the equivalent of that. And that is a like direct contrast to how it is now, at least especially not within like Western bandom anymore. So much so. Um, but more so in, like, the K-pop realm of things, which, like, I could do mm-hmm. an entire episode, like, we could easily do an entire episode talking about K-pop, but, like, K-pop is not the focus of this of this podcast at all. But, like, that genre and that entire industry is a case of marketing directors actually understanding, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I hate to use, like, not queer baiting, but understands that fans, understands that fans participate in RPF and like care about it and will then start pivoting, like put out materials to go with what ships are currently popular. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's different. That that's a completely different thing of what's going on versus like what was happening in the two thousands with fandom. Yeah. Cause like, that's absolutely what's happening now. Like we have definitely seen fandom waning and I Mm -hmm. do think that other things have come in to fill that same space in what like, fandom ate my face was calling like the fandom of immediacy where you have Mm -hmm. this constant access and this constant flow of new information about these people and hey it's like like how i mentioned earlier like this is why i primarily reside in fandoms that revolve around real people because it's a constant influx of information and very clearly why i made the jump from fandom to k-pop like and then from k-pop to formula one because there's always shit going on there's always shit going on and there's always narratives and there's always like little things to get you sink your teeth into and you never have to wait you know for the next volume or next issue Mm -hmm. of a comic to come out you don't have to wait until next week or wait in between seasons minus formula one but like you don't have to wait between seasons for things to happen for people to tweet at each other like there's always shit going on it turns out that it is difficult to find artists opinions on rpf because if i google anyone's name plus rpf no matter what i put next to it if i put interview if i put opinion i can put anything i am just gonna turn up fan fiction of these people (laughs) (laughs) so my my research in this episode has just taken me to a lot of fan fiction and i was like well that's not really what i was looking for but you know thank you so much for Thank sharing you. um i did manage to find uh gerard way discussing it a little bit kind of recently mm-hmm. on twitter i mean not recently because he deleted his twitter like a while ago no it's still there he just doesn't use it oh yeah, yeah. i mean he deleted a ton of his tweets though oh fair, fair, fair um fair. these ones i think are still up 
Um, but he did say the purpose of the stage persona was to challenge gender, sta- gender standards and homophobia, not for slash fiction. Hashtag point missed. Hashtag point missed. Sidebar, I fucking missed Gerard on Twitter because he was so good at using hashtags. Do you remember when he uh, tweeted hashtag die slow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like. I think that every day. <laughs> like, every day, at least one person pisses me off enough for me to be like, die slow. <laughs> like I like Gerard got off Twitter for the right reasons then and I'm glad that he's still off of it now because that like Gerard way on Twitter now would be fucking cataclysmic like impossible for him to use the platform with mm-hmm. what the kids are because the new era disaster. of kids who fucking love bandom but weren't there disaster. for it disaster he was It'd tweeting so untagged bad. gore at people like <laughs> And like I miss, I I want the underground memes. Like I miss it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So he tweeted that it wasn't for slash fiction, but he did later elaborate. I'm okay with fandoms. I spent a lot of years being upset about fix and ships, and there's no point to it. I've learned to laugh at it, and I understand why it exists. People that are fans of something don't want to be told how to enjoy something. And as long as you remain respectful to those people in person and online, express yourself. Enjoy how you enjoy. He tweeted this after he <laughs> live tweeted um, a fic of Ryan Ross and Brendan Yuri that involved a milk enema. Um, Colloquially known I really as enjoyed, milk fic. It's known as the milk fic. Gerard went into it and was like, like he, because I guess a lot of people tweeted about it at him, which like, don't which, do that. Don't do but, that. It um, also involves men that he never even toured with. Like, yeah, though he has met them. <laughs> like he, he's met those guys. He's yeah. like, hung out with them. Um, That's so fucked to think about, but you know. Yeah. I, like after he live tweeted it, he was like, at Ryan and Brandon, sorry if you think this is weird. Um, <laughs> it's like, I mean, they do, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It, it was pretty funny to see him be like. Yeah, milk enema, like I thought. Pretty standard. Yeah, (laughs) that was the reaction. Pretty standard. Yeah, like you're not going to weird this guy out. No. I found an old interview with Patrick Stump from 2007 with the BBC. I only found this because I, my brain operates like a steel trap, but only for stupid bullshit. And I remembered that in this same interview, the interviewer asked him, would you rather pee a melon? Would you rather pee a plum or poop a melon. Mm. And so I googled Patrick Stump and then in quotes, pee a plum. And I found it. It came right the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and I scrolled through it and I was like, yup, this is the one where he talks about fan fiction. So the interviewer said, you probably know about Slash when girls write stories about musicians being together. And he says, I guess I never knew about it, but I guess um, whatever, you know. I was always surprised at how much creativity our fans have. It's really weird. Like, I don't remember doing anything for our band when I was a kid. Like, some kids got together and reshot one of our videos in its entirety with them instead of us. And I was like, dude, that's a lot of work. And it looks really good. And it must have taken you, like, days. When I was a kid, I was kind of too lazy to finish writing a band's name on a notebook. Um, So he kind of avoids giving, like, a hard opinion on whether mm-hmm. or not he's okay with it. Beyond just saying, like, oh, I think it's cool that they're creative. Which, honestly, if I was in his position, I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> And honestly, that kind of seems to be the general consensus at this point with most people who were the big, like, hot ticket ship people. 
Yeah. In Bandom, like, at least now that, you know, they're not actively touring as much as they used to. They're not putting out new albums anymore. They're not in the cultural zeitgeist like they used to be. Mm-hmm. So I would understand, like, if you are newly famous in your early, in your early 20s and, like, people are writing fan fiction about, like you and like your best friends Mm -hmm. i I, as you're in the process of being in your career and doing that thing still you would probably not really know how to grapple with that and i definitely don't blame them but like i feel a lot many as many more years have passed and they've kind of gotten older it's more like all right i'm happy you guys are having fun (laughs) yeah um and i think it's different now that like the level of access has like it's gotten so much lower like there is mm-hmm. such a high barrier to even being in the same room as these guys now that like they're not subjected to the same like oh I log into my instant messenger and someone has sent me fic of me getting railed by my bandmate who and is, like, like my friend and coworker you know if that was happening yeah. to me every day I I don't know how I would handle that yeah. I might be mad I might be okay with it I yeah. have no idea no idea because like ultimately the thing with rpf like this was at least back in the day like i'm sure there's probably a a place later on in the thing where we talk about this more but i'm gonna talk about it Mm -hmm. now um like the attitude around rpf back then and i want to say back then it was fucking like 15 years ago was basically like fourth wall you have to respect the fourth wall and it is irresponsible to bring up thick or any sort of shipping language to the people that the thick is about. And that mm-hmm. has always been like at least my like level of okayness with RPF is like you have to recognize that it's fiction, that it's mm-hmm. not real, that you are only extrapolating things from what is publicly available about these people. So thus it can never be the full reflection of who they are as a person. And so thus, nothing you write can be real. Yeah. But you also can never bring that up to the other person. And just, like, mind your business. Keep it to mm-hmm. the community. And, like, yeah. that's it. And, like, back then, people who were in RPF spaces would scorn. And, like, you kind of got ostracized if you brought it up to any of the band people in person. There was a level of self-policing involved that mm-hmm. is not – that does not exist anymore. But yeah, that shit was also, locked down. That was locked down unless it was the weird instances where things were like shared directly with band members, whether it be in person or via a more direct channel. Mm-hmm. You know, now you have like, sure, it may seem like celebrities are more available than they've ever been before, but they also now have people mm-hmm. <laughs> like writing accounts that can field, you know, weird DMs or weird replies. Uh, for things that they don't want to see in the early days like immediately post dial-up it was kind of the wild west and everyone was just out there and there was we hadn't figured out how it was gonna work yet yeah you could really just talk to anybody it was really weird it was really weird like for example somebody clearly had a level of access to uh vicky t or victoria asher from cobra starship she was their guitar player that they were able to send her fan fiction of her and Greta Salpeter from the Hush Sound on LiveJournal in mm-hmm. 2008. And Vicky T, bless her, fucking reads the fic <laughs> um, and then commented on it. Which is insane behavior. <laughs> insane, insane behavior. <laughs> commented it on it from her real life LiveJournal account. 
said, ha, this is amazing, guys. A fan sent this to me. You have quite the imagination. Reading this stuff is so entertaining. Stockings are my favorite. So good call on that. Thanks for the entertainment while we're on the road. Vicky T. Like, crazy. <laughs> I mean, nice of her, but also like... Like, maybe the the best reaction a celebrity or a public figure could have mm-hmm. about fic written about them. But it did cause a bit of a kerfuffle because I did after this kind of see people posting their fic with like it would usually be like if you're in this fic please don't read it like yeah this is a fantasy for me and my friends and I don't want you to see it and then people were also posting like but if you do read it please don't comment on it I don't want to know yeah which um, should still be the same policy today yeah with RPF, but. like everybody none of you can talk to each other so the person who wrote the fic, which was live journal user uh, Olive hyphen Cersei, uh, later posted like it's a really good name. Posted an essay uh, titled "Good Call in the Stockings," um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. and in which they wrote, "Once I've written the story, it's out there for the world to see. And as much as I would rather say everything is walled in behind enormous signs, reading fanish subculture only, I did know what I was getting into, kind of." I'm not actually as calm about this as I sound, and there's still about 10% of me that sort of wants to throw up or go into lockdown or hide under my bed. Any of those things could still potentially happen. On the other hand, props to Vicky T for having the guts or the LJ manners or whatever to comment and sign her name to the comments. In the end, I don't really know which of us is crazier, the person who wrote the pornographic fanfiction about real people or the real person who read and replied to the pornographic fanfiction about herself. Let's go with option three. The person who thought it was a good idea to send the story to the story star. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have I learned my lesson? Will I stop writing porn about real people? Not a chance. Will I be thinking about what this means for a good long time? Damn right I will. Um, I want to read an academic study of specifically like this paragraph. Because <laughs> it's... Just, it's Like, sometimes I read shit and I'm like, I have to go back to school. I have to go back to school today because it's just, like, so interesting to me to see where, not even where the ethics lie, but just to see, like, okay, so, like, why are you doing this and what does it mean and, like, can I talk to you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, are you you still on LiveJournal? Can I call you? Can we talk about this? (laughs) You're a dream with? Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I yeah. I mean, I... No, it's a lot. I really just... I have nothing to say about it in any real way beyond that it's fascinating. I also will say, like, a little bit going back to the accessibility thing when it comes to sharing this content with the people that it's about. Like, again, LiveJournal was a platform that fans and artists were on alike. It was a great unifier of platforms. And now... Because we didn't have... Like, yes, Archive of Our Own existed, but it wasn't, like, the main hub for fan fiction like it was like you have to have an account to comment on or no you don't you can have a guest account on AO3. yeah you can you can be anonymous you could be anonymous on live journal sometimes too yeah regardless like on ao3 you do need an account to access its full like scope of features and you do need to have an invite to get onto the archive mm-hmm. so like there's several steps involved to get to fan fiction on archive of our own versus LiveJournal, a social media platform that everyone fucking used and could just yeah. stumble upon stuff. You can't just stumble upon stuff on AO3 unless you're specifically on AO3 or it was sent to you. Exactly. Though for the most part, and it did feel like artists and band members would kind of stay out of their own fan communities. Mm-hmm. 
because there was very much this understanding like that's not the space for me that's the space for them mm-hmm. and i'm gonna be over here um for but sure. obviously like in those early days there was a while before that necessarily got figured out mm-hmm. so there was a bit of overlap yeah for sure um we actually see a tumblr user whose url i cannot pronounce Sailor S T K W R N. It's like Sailor S T K warning. Yeah. Sailor's T K warning. I don't know. Wrote a post about the loss of the fourth wall as fandoms migrated from Live Journal to Tumblr and Twitter. Um, Zach Hall, Panic at the Disco's tour manager slash nanny, was a member of the first, now mostly dead, Panic fan community. He commented occasionally. We knew he was there. He technically kicked a little hole in the fourth wall doing that, but it was a tiny hole and also not the same as a band member displaying awareness of the community by commenting. His presence enabled the flow of information. He could tell us what kind of things to bring to meet and greets. We could sound the alarm if we collectively thought there was something hanky going on. He could also presumably pass our reactions to merch and songs to the band. Now we have Tumblr where the tags are the community and the collective effect is the merging of personal journals, fan communities, and fan work communities into one diffuse cloud. Track the tag and you'll get it all. Cooing, grumbling, criticism, derogatory comments about partners and friends, fic, news, announcements, etc. The problem is that anyone who tracks the tag, even the performer or their people, get all of it too. The fourth wall effectively falls down. And like, I really do lament that so much the loss of live journal and the complete migration of fandom to uh like twitter and tumblr Mm -hmm. like at least i'm now so entrenched in k-pop that at least like k-pop tries to encourage a fan community with fan cafes and now from fan cafe to weavers but like it's not like the artists don't have twitter Mm -hmm. you know so yeah it was just it was very much a different i don't know it was it was a completely different vibe that we have like completely lost Mm -hmm. and i don't know like maybe this is my own kind of like I grew up and you know fallout boy and panic kind of broke up or went on hiatus around the same time and around the same time that that was happening live journal was kind of on the decline and everyone was scattering across different platforms so we couldn't keep track of things in the same way that we used to but I felt like stage gay and the constant discussion of it was being was like really becoming a lot less common Mm-hmm, um, and sure. as I was reading Bandom Ate My Face, it turned out that, like, that wasn't just my feeling. Like, that was true. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ross writes, in fact, it appears that many Bandom fans have since moved on to new fandoms. Archival statistics from Band Slash Mania and Wolf Shirts on LiveJournal indicate that Bandom activity dropped significantly in late 2008 and early 2009. This decline was likely due in no small part to the disintegration and inactivity of core bands, which prompted some bandom slash fans to spend time with other media fandoms. Mm-hmm. Several of my survey respondents who were generally older and more practiced participants also noted that bandom was beginning to attract a younger cohort whose lack of subcultural etiquette and creative writing skills irked the more seasoned readers. However, it should be noted that in the bandom section of the recently created archive of our own website continues to see dozens of new works posted every week. Bandom remains the second most popular music-based fandom on the site behind boy band One Direction, which has likely become the new fandom of immediacy. In the years since its heyday, Bandom has seemingly turned into just another music fandom as opposed to the consuming scene it once was. And fully agree. Like, that was exactly my experience. Meanwhile, I had that exact trajectory of Bandom to One Direction. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I know so everyone. many people <laughs> who went there. And I'm feeling like at the time this was written in like, I think 2014, it was One Direction. I feel like it is now like K-pop and then One Direction and then Bandai. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Though I have not actually checked. I don't know. Given just not even K-pop as a whole, but just BTS itself, I think there is somewhere. Actually, let me check to see. Cause the oh, last time fuck, I looked... it's definitely BTS is like the top it's the top one. I'm curious. I want to see how many fakes BTS has. Yeah, BTS right now has almost 200,000 works in its tag. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay, yeah. When I see music in bands, it's literally... Okay, yeah. It's BTS, and then it's One Direction, and then it's rock music. So, like, yeah. yeah it... <laughs> Basically. It's exactly as we suspected. Yes. <laughs> but I do feel like stage gay in the West is still way less common. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like or I we're seeing it in a different way. We're definitely seeing it in a different way. Like I can't name a major band right now that is doing stage gay the way that it was once practiced. Mm-hmm. Uh even within the like the new iterations of what the scene is, they're just not doing that anymore. Yeah. And maybe it's because like we're in a place now with our social politics that doing stage gay isn't as much of a revolutionary act as it once was so thus there is not the need nor like impetus to participate but also like it was fun so go back to it (laughs) yeah no exactly i mean we kind of see like i feel like the last big like music artist ship that i was seeing was like louis and harry and like obviously that's not happening anymore since the band broke up and And also also, so much of that was extrapolated from not even on stage antics that was entirely extrapolated from like off stage stuff yeah and i think they've both talked about how that like kind of made them want to hang out less or like oh yeah made them pull away from each other because they were like it's going to just like be the subject of like constant scrutiny anytime mm-hmm. we look at each other oh yeah absolutely they've they've been on the record saying that like our friendship got worse because of yeah. that which is what happens yeah. when you don't respect a fourth wall <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we can't stop anyone from doing anything but like if you're going to do this you have to not make it everyone else's problem exactly like it's not fun <laughs> yeah that's like I said at the top, we're not going to take a hard stance on this. And this is the only hard stance I'm going to take, which is if you're going to do this, you really, really have to like shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically, you know, like the videos like of those lawyers like saying shut the fuck up Fridays or whatever. It's yes. shut the fuck up always when it you are genuinely going to be participating in RPF fandoms. Yeah. Like you can't because like it had a very real impact on these two guys friendship i'm not especially emotionally invested in the well-being of harry and louis and their relationship but like it sucks that oh yeah they felt like they had to hang out less you know Mm -hmm. i mean the similar things have happened even in k-pop where like specifically with 17 a like two of the members mingyu and wanu are really good friends and very early on in their career like fans who are into rpf picked up on that and very quickly they did not not bring up their ship for those two people up mm-hmm. to them in person to the point where like pletus like realized like hey they're really popular let's put them in more things and then very quickly it became like oh it doesn't even seem like me you and wano are in the band together anymore and only Jesus. very recently have they like started interacting again by very recently i mean within the past like two or three years or something but there was like a good solid like 
two years in between then and now where they have might as well not existed to each other because of yeah. shippers bringing it up Which, to like, them it, in it person sucks. and it's also shitty. it sucks so like keep it to yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the stance that we're taking just be responsible about it yeah i do feel like less than stage gay we are now seeing experimentation with gender presentation like with oh for sure harry styles i know that a yeah. lot of people are like here's the thing when i see like people say like oh harry styles is fighting gender norms but the gender norms are winning it's like okay listen if you want people to be able to be gender non-conforming you have to still be okay with it if they look like shit you have to <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that shit is so garbage saying like oh yeah like robert pattinson wore a skirt but he didn't even style it correctly like, do you talk about, like, this, like, you talk about fucking cis women at the grocery store? Or would you find yeah. that unacceptable? Exactly. Like, you, if you want this to be okay, and I'm assuming that we do, then you can't fucking do that. Like, it's cool if no. you have your opinion on styling, but, like, when you make it, like... You shouldn't have even worn it if it wasn't going to be cute. You should have worn pants. Like, oh, wow, revolutionary. You think that yeah. a man should have worn a suit? Like, great. great. Yeah. Fully, you sound like a Republican. Oh, it's fully. boring, and I'm not interested. We've wrapped around into conservative politics and ideas around, like, yeah. sociopolitical shit that it's now, like, just wrapped up in a progressive bow. Yeah, but I do think it's interesting that we're seeing a lot of the same people who were doing stage gay doing, you know, playing with gender presentation mm-hmm. or playing with fashion. Hello, we can do an entire podcast episode just on the looks that Gerard was turning out over this past tour. Yeah. And will. We will. And we will. <laughs> That's um, a threat and a promise. <laughs> but it's like, one, we see Harry Styles doing it, like someone who was frequently being shipped with his bandmate. Um, we see Gerard Way doing it. Pete Wentz on Fall Out Boy's tour with uh, Weezer and, fuck, who else was that tour with? Like Green Day? Green Day and Black Mary 2, I think. Yeah. On that fucking tour, was wearing a skirt, like, every night. Like, Brendan Urie was in Kinky Boots, a, mu- a musical about, like, a drag queen. Or, is she a drag queen or is she a transgender woman? I haven't seen Kinky Boots in a million years. I have never even seen Kinky Boots in general, so honestly, I don't know. So I cannot speak to that. I really like Kinky Boots. But, like, regardless, it's a musical that plays around a lot It's a musical a about gender. someone who is probably not a cishet man. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, like, the constant shift to the newest most dangerous thing that we're going to push the envelope on Mm -hmm. and right now that's gender yeah and i do in this one specific instance have to kind of give brennan credit um but i'm also giving you know pete and gerard credit for being on the front line of this oh for sure for sure for sure for sure yeah and i'm sure that one day when you know fingers crossed all forms of sexuality and gender presentation are like completely accepted by absolutely everybody there will be some new super dangerous thing that punk bands are doing on stage and i can't wait for it that parents are hand bringing over i (laughs) genuinely cannot wait it's gonna be some cyberpunk shit it's gonna be like they're gonna go up there and have like a cybernetic arm or whatever (laughs) that'd be sick as hell that'd be really good i think that takes us to the closing remarks yeah closing ranks closing ranks i'm not reading a poem you're not because I think read we've gone on long enough. I'm not going to read a poem. I was making an empty threat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, in I our, think you've just gone on. 
for context, everyone, we, like I said, we had, we threatened you with the 14 page stage gate outline, the in text size font size, like 36 of which none of the rest of this document has a font size that large. It was just Chloe typing. I'm going to read a poem. (laughs) Apparently we are not getting a poem today. (laughs) I will recommend you uh, some poems though, that really touch on everything that we talked about today. Yeah. There is a book of poetry. It is quite short by Lip Meneggio called We've All Seen Helena. Lip, I'm so sorry in advance if I pronounced your last name wrong. I'm not going to try again, though, because I think I might make it worse. And it is a collection of poems about My Chemical Romance and Gerard Way uh, explored through a lens of being uh, transmasculine and queer and specifically looks at, like, being a young, questioning person and writing fan fiction about Frank and Gerard or being Mm -hmm. a young gay person and watching the video of them kissing at Project Revolution and what that would have meant to somebody. And I found it super relatable. I found it really, really fucking good. I cried. It's awesome. I love it. Um, That is We've All Seen Helena. Uh, I recommend it. Which, can you send me the link to that when we're all done? (laughs) Yeah, I will. Sick, because I feel like I should own that and I don't own it. Yeah, you need it. And so, like, ultimately, what we've been talking about for two and a half hours now, Mm -hmm. at least our final recording of this, the raw, the raw audio, is that Stage Gay was a moment, a phenomenon in a moment in time where it was radical and revolutionary to be seen kissing another man on stage and it was not just a performance it was commentary and it was also a moment of allyship and a thing for kids to find solace in and it ended up having a lot of uh further ties to rpf and fandom and uh queer culture and what it meant to be queer and in the scene and all that stuff. And it was mm-hmm. a really long, like, there's so many, like, different threads and different things that needed to come together in order to talk about stage gay. And that's why this episode is so long. And also, like, this was, like, it needed its due diligence done. So if you sat through all of this, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Is there a final thank you that you want to give, Chloe? Um, yeah. My final thank you is to Anthony Green of Seosin and Circus Survive and The Sounds of Animals Fighting and a million other bands. And, most and recently, LS Dunes. Most recently of LS Dunes, who is like the last surviving soldier of the fucking stage gay wars. He is keeping the fight alive by calling Frank baby boy on stage every single night and telling him how good he looks and calling him Francis. You're doing it. Thank you so much. Bisexual King. (laughs) Anthony Green, you are the best person. I Also, how funny is it that it's with Frank Iero again? (laughs) Like, what is it about Frank? (laughs) Genuinely. I mean, you've seen him. You know what it is about Frank. Yeah. He's He's got perfect eyebrows. (laughs) Perfect eyebrows, beautiful green eyes, Scorpio for days. Yeah. And he will see an Aries lead singer and say, is anyone going to be hit on by this guy on stage? And then he will not wait for an answer. (laughs) Literally and exactly. Yeah. So I think that wraps us up for this episode on Stage Gay. Thank you so much for listening to So Emo I Fell Apart. 
you can listen to us. Uh, not listen to us. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, you please, can listen to uh, us. <laughs> you can listen to us, please. We we love it. Um, if you enjoyed what you listened to, please rate us or subscribe. Do all the the things that make us look good online wherever you get your podcasts. And once again, a final shout out to Moonshot Pods for powering this podcast. All yeah. Right. Love you. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Kung Fu Grip. Kung Fu Grip. As so- you can see, I had to use my uh, judo on Gerard. Yeah, I see that Gerard's actually gone to pieces here during this interview. Sometimes it happens. I just well, got so emo, I fell apart. That's what actually happened. You got that sad? Yes. Do you like ghosts? What about monsters or haunted houses? Evil furniture stores? Cannibalism? Doppelgangers? Childhood mysteries that involve a strange cult or a scary clown? If you answered yes to any of the above, you may be eligible to become a patron at the Dead Letter Society's Library of Terrors. Dead Letter Society is a book club podcast about horror, mysteries, thrillers, and all genre of things that go bump in the night. Every episode, me, Marn, and my wife Alyssa pick a book from our Library of Terrors to read, then come together to discuss it live on air. Which characters do we get too attached to? What plot twist shocked us? Which scares fell flat and which had us jumping out of our seats in anxiety? Which character deaths made us lie down on the floor in anguish? You'll just have to join us here in the Library of Terrors to find out. Dead Letter Society is a proud part of the Moonshot Network. You can find us on Twitter at Dead Letter Pod, and you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon at the next meeting of the Society.